Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see all of you here today. And if you weren't here last week, let me kind of catch you up and fill you in on where we're at. We started a series called The Life of Encouragement. And the, the title actually has a double meaning. One meaning that we believe that as followers of Jesus, our lives should be characterized as encouragers. Secondly, we believe that when you encourage somebody, that brings life into them. It's able to make them produce the fruit that God wanted them to produce. It gives them an extra boost, and it motivates them to get closer to Jesus. Now, school is in full swing. We've got about one or two weeks under our belt right now. And so as we consider this topic of encouragement, there is one group of people who we need to constantly encourage, and that is those men and women who serve in our schools educating our young people. They have a very hard job. I was reminded of this most recently when I came across the words of a school's answering machine. Here's what it said. Hello. You have reached the automated answering machine of your school. In order to assist you in the best way, please listen to all of your options before making a selection. To lie about why your child is absent, press 1. To make excuses about why your child did not do his work, press 2. To complain about what we do, press 3. To swear at staff members, press 4. To ask why you didn't get information that was already enclosed in your newsletter and mailed to you several times in flyers, press 5. If you want us to raise your child, press 6. If you want to reach out to touch, slap, or hit someone, press 7. To request another teacher for the third time this year, press 8. To complain about bus transportation, press 9. To complain about school lunches, press 0. And... If you realize this is the real world and your child must be accountable for his or her behavior, classwork, homework, and that it's not your teacher's fault for your child's lack of effort, then just hang up. Now, this morning, if you are a teacher, if you are a counselor, an administrator, if you're a coach, if you are an aide, if you are a secretary, if you are the school nurse, if you are the custodian in your school, if you in some form or fashion work in the school to make the best possible learning environment for kids, would you please stand up right now and receive our appreciation? Come on, teachers, come on, administrators, coaches, everybody in the school system, stand up. Thank you for what you do. And here's what I know. There's another group of people who constantly need to be encouraged. You know what they're called? They are called Christians. Because it's not easy to faithfully follow Jesus, is it? This is why over and over and over we find repeated this one command in the New Testament to encourage one another. Because while following Jesus is exciting and is exhilarating, and listen to me, if Jesus, if following him is not exciting and exhilarating in your life, you're doing it wrong. Because it is exciting and it's exhilarating, but it is also exhausting at times. And that's why when we meet with other believers in the body of Christ, we constantly have to be motivating one another in the direction of Jesus. Think of it like this, okay? How many of you in here are marathon runners? You, you have run marathons or you like to run marathons? Do I have any hands in here? Okay, we've got some. 
And you can tell from my physique that I'm an avid marathon runner, right? Right. But you know what I've noticed about marathons? It's not just the runners who show up. It's not just the people who have the number on their chest and wearing the shorts. There's whole bunches of other people showing up at Marathon. You know what it is? It's the people on the sidelines. And they come to cheer them on and they bring their signs because they know that when those Marathon runners get fatigued or they run out of steam, sometimes it's the cheering on, it's the clapping, it's the sign that motivates them to take further steps towards the finish line. In fact, I came across some pretty creative marathon signs that people have used. Let's, let's look at some of his motives. You equals awesome, all right? Now, wouldn't that give you some motivation as you run along and think, man, people think I'm awesome. I got to show that I am awesome. Here's another one I like. Chuck Norris never ran a marathon, and he's done everything, right? Here's one that's really creative. One out of 100 poops their pants. Are you that one? That's more motivating you not to do something as you're running, right? Let's hope you're not that one. Chafe now, brag later, right? And if you've ever run, you know that chafing's a big part of it, but you get bragging rights because of it, right? And I like the smart aleck here on this next one, okay? Creative, inspirational marathon sign. There's one in every crowd, right? But probably the best one that inspired all these runners was this one. In our minds, you're all Kenyans, right? Because it's the Kenyans who always run and win the race. Now, notice when you're at a marathon or see people running, nobody ever has a sign that says, you should quit, you stink, you're an embarrassment to the running world. Nobody brings those signs because what runners need is encouragement, and that's exactly what Christians need. So we're going to open our Bibles this morning And if you have your Bible, turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 24. And this is going to be a verse that I'm sure many of you have heard in the past. A lot of times, pastors have used this verse to make people feel guilty about skipping church. And while it does talk about the need to assemble with the body of believers, it talks about the reason for what we do than just doing what we do, okay? Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 24. It says here, and let us consider, listen to this, it means let's give some thought to, let's contemplate, let's think about this, how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. How can we hold up those signs and how can we cheer one another on, say keep doing what you're doing, I want to motivate you toward love, I want to motivate you toward good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but what? encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, please note that the point of the verse is not, I encourage you to go to church. The point of the verse is, go to church so you can encourage one another. And consider it, and think about it, and come up with ways before you even step on these this campus, who I need to seek out to motivate them in the direction of Jesus. Because often when we come in, we do not consider those things at all. And there's some various characters in Scripture who show us the kinds of ways that encouragement can take place in our life. Today, we are going to look at a character who is synonymous with encouragement. In fact, his name actually means encouragement. Do any of you know who I'm talking about? 
we're talking about a guy named Barnabas, all right? And we learn about him in the book of Acts chapter 4. Here's what it says here. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field that he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now let me just stop right there and say that is one cool nickname. The apostles say, we're going to call you encouragement, dude, because that's what you do so well. And I want you to notice something about Barnabas, okay? His encouragement doesn't necessarily come in what he says. We think so often that encouragement really is just a matter of our words. But Barnabas is going to show us that encouragement can happen in various ways. Here's what we learn from Barnabas, first of all. We learn that encouragers step up to meet needs. Did you see what it says here? It says that Barnabas sold a field he owned and brought the money to put it at the apostles' feet. Why did he do that? Let me give you a little context of what is going on, okay? From the very beginning, the church of Jesus had huge financial burdens, Think of it this way. You're a Jew living in Jerusalem. And you hear that your leaders have conspired successfully to have the man Jesus of Nazareth crucified. Because they had branded him as a false messiah. Weeks later, some of your friends visit you at your house and they say, listen, We've seen him. We've seen Jesus. He is who he said he was. He is the long-awaited Messiah. And you believe your friends. And subsequently, you believe in Jesus. And you proclaim faith in Jesus. But that carries with it in that day and time some huge consequences. It means that that shop that you own... Now that word on the street is that you're a follower of Jesus, the one who your leaders branded as a heretic, people stop shopping there. They're going to make you pay for your decision. That employer that you have, who's employed you for years and years and years, and you've been faithful, he comes to you one day and says, we no longer need people like you working for us. Or if you're a widow, and you have no children to provide for you, and you are rightly entitled to receive food and resources from the temple. And you go to the priest and the temple workers. And they say, we hear you're a follower of Jesus now. That means you want one of us. No food for you. So the early church had these huge financial burdens. And Satan used these trials and these burdens to discourage the early followers of Jesus. He used them to make those people shrink back and cower down in their faith. So here's what the church decided. The church decided that this new movement of God was so important that we are going to radically sacrifice to preserve it. That community now is more important than my stuff. 
And there was this understanding among the people of Jesus that went like this. If I got it, and you need it, you can have it. It gives to the church. Church was not a noun. It wasn't a place. It wasn't a building. It wasn't a gathering. It wasn't a service. You know what church was? Church was a verb. How do we one another one another? I came across a story about a pastor who took a, a young group of American Christian basketball players over to the African nation of Malawi. He took them on an outreach trip. And they were going to scrimmage against uh, this team from Malawi who came from a Christian university. And as the Malawi team is warming up before the game, the American kids notice that two of the boys on the Malawi team only have one sneaker apiece. And they kind of snickered about it when they saw this and asked their coach, what gives with the guys out there who only have one shoe on, on each foot? And the coach didn't know, so he goes up to the coach of the Malawi team and says, what's going on there? And the coach explained to him, he says, well, in our culture, it's, um, it's disgraceful to not have any shoes. But many of the kids in this country can't afford them. So this one teammate who had two shoes saw that his friend didn't have any, and he didn't want his friend to be embarrassed in front of the Americans. So he said, here, you can have one of mine. You know what, folks? That's the norm, that church is a verb. It's not just a noun. It's the norm where what God is doing is more important than my stuff. I've seen this same thing in our church. You remember years ago when I shared with you statistically how many of the people's worlds don't even have the, the basic pair of shoes. And we've got multiple pairs at home in our closets, right? And on that Sunday, I challenged people to go home barefoot that day, to leave your shoes here, and we would make sure they got to people in the world who needed shoes. Some of you left brand new, high-dollar shoes here at the church at the altar that day. And God was smiling when his children went home barefoot that day because we saw church as a verb, not just as a noun. There's been people here at this church who needed a car, and one of you provided them a car people who needed housing, and some of you said, you can live in some of my properties rent-free. Because I know it's tough times, you're down and out, and when you get back up, that's all I want to see is you get back up on your feet. But until then, you're living rent-free in my place. I know some of you have brought groceries, you've paid utility bills. You have been the church as a verb because community was more important than your stuff. But Barnabas shows us something here. That encouragement is more than just generosity. It's more than just meeting physical needs. Here's what encouragers do. They seek out what is good in the body of Christ. Why don't you write that down? Encouragers seek out what is good. Now, throughout the book of Acts, we get kind of a snapshot of what God is doing throughout the New Testament world in these various churches. And there's one church in particular that took a really big risk when it came to their mission. And that was the church of Antioch. Let me tell you what distinguished the church of, of Antioch and why they were movers and shakers in their time. Because they crossed a line that nobody up to that point had crossed. 
they became the very first racially integrated church, multi-ethnic church of the New Testament world. And friends, it was controversial to have Jews and Greeks, the circumcised and the uncircumcised, worshiping together. It was controversial. And news got back to the church at Jerusalem. And the apostle said, we need to send somebody there to check things out. And you want to guess the name of the guy who they sent to check things out? Who do you guess? Barnabas. They sent Barnabas. Here's what it says in Acts eleven twenty-two: News of this reached the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad. And encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. Notice that Barnabas didn't show up on the scene with his mind already made up. He came with an open mind looking for evidence of the grace of God. He didn't come on the scene saying, you all need to chill things out a little bit because you're making all the rest of the churches just a little too nervous. No, Barnabas came looking to see what God was doing. And what God was doing was so big and so bold that Barnabas said, you guys don't need to step things down. You need to ramp things up. Because Barnabas didn't show up at Antioch looking for reasons to gripe. He showed up at Antioch looking for evidence of grace. Church ought to be a place where never is heard a discouraging word. And I'm going to say something in love. I'm going to lay something heavy on you that some of you need to hear this morning, okay? Fault finding is not a spiritual gift. Cynicism is not a fruit of the Spirit. I know, and you know, any fool on the street can tell you 10 things that are bad, 10 things that are wrong, 10 things that need to be fixed, but it takes a person of God to look at and encourage and lift up that which is good. Amen? So you want to find fault in churches? That's not hard. We have plenty of them. If there's anybody who's more acquainted with the warts and the flaws and the faults of this church, it is me. So if that's what you want to do, if you want to find reasons to be unhappy, you will be quite successful. But I'm going to tell you this as well. There is no place on planet Earth where you will find more evidence for the grace of God than in the local church. This is the place. I've noticed in life, you will find what you look for. You look for the good, you will find the good. You look for the bad, you will find the bad. It's true of churches and it's true of people. So Barnabas, like all encouragers, they seek out what is good. You know what else they do? They search for the kingdom potential in others. That's what they do. 
Listen to what it says in Acts 11.25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. You know what encouragers do? Barnabas proves this. Encouragers focus more on people's future than they do on people's past. They focus more on what somebody can become, more on what that person has done. And I think one of the reasons why Paul says over and over in his letters, encourage one another, encourage one another, encourage one another, is because encouragement saved him. Encouragement rescued him. Do you remember who Paul used to be? He used to be Saul. When he was Saul, he went through the churches with the purpose of persecuting them, imprisoning them, and killing them. Until he encountered the risen Christ one day, he was, had his eyes opened, and Jesus says, you're going to serve on my team from now on. It rocked his world. But you know what? He had such a bad reputation, nobody trusted him. People were still scared of him, because this is the guy who used to kill our brothers and sisters. And look what it says in Acts 9. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. See, when you're trying to get a job as a pastor in a church and you give the church your resume and it says, used to kill Christians, that's kind of a deal breaker, right? Paul had a very, very, very bad reputation. Barnabas had an extraordinary reputation. So here's what Barnabas says. He says, I'm going to take some of my credibility that I have and I'm going to give my credibility to Paul so that people who trust me can now trust him. People who believe in me can now believe in him because I endorse him. I'm finding the good in what this man can do. I'll tell you what, folks. The world is still being blessed today because of what Barnabas did for Paul. And you have to wonder, how many Pauls have we lost? Those men and women who could have done and should have done mighty things for God, but the rest of us could not get past all their screw-ups. It's not easy to see kingdom potential in people. It wasn't easy for Paul either. Let me tell you why. We read in the book of Acts how Paul and Barnabas decide one day, they get this great idea. Let's go out to these various cities in this region and let's plant churches. And they decide, we're going to take a newbie, an intern, a guy named Mark. We're going to take him with us. So they go out on the mission field, and they're preaching and teaching and proclaiming in the name of Jesus, and things get rough for them, and Mark freaks out, which can happen on the mission field. It's an eye-opener, and Mark abandons them partway through the mission, and it caused lots of problems for them because now they're one man short. And now fast forward to the future, okay? The missionary trip is done. Fast forward to Acts 15, 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, 
Let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. So they're going to go on a second tour of the churches they planted earlier when Mark abandoned them. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Listen to this. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Did you see what happened there? Barnabas was so willing to stand by Mark that he was willing to stand up to Paul. That ever happened to you? You ever have a season of life where you have made a major, major mess up and people wrote you off? Where they were done with you? But then there was somebody who God brought your way. And they stood by you. And they stood with you. And they stood for you. And they said, you are more than your worst moment. And you are here today because that person spoke that truth into your life. They saw the potential in you despite the screw-ups in the rearview mirror of your life. And you know what? Barnabas's faith in Mark was vindicated. Fast forward again. Paul is in a Roman prison cell about to die. He's writing his final words to Timothy, and listen what he writes. 2 Timothy 4.11. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Paul was able to later see in Mark what Barnabas saw all along. And we need more people like Barnabas in the church who believes in somebody and instills confidence in somebody when the rest of the world has given up on them. Some of you read about Barnabas today, and here's what you're thinking. Boy, that Barnabas sure was an optimist. He was a half glass half full kind of guy. He wasn't an optimist. You know what he was? He was a believer. He had faith that the image of God dwelled in every human being, and he was going to make it his task in life to call that out of people. Listen to what it says in Acts 11.24. It describes Barnabas. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Not optimism, faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. It's amazing what God can do in a broken world when he has in his hand a tool that says, I will be an encourager. This is why, over and over, Paul says, and I'm saying today and for the next couple of weeks, encourage one another. Some of you here say, well, I'm not very good at that. 
Can I tell you something this morning? A clumsy attempt at encouragement is better than no attempt at all. And last week, I challenged all of you. I said, for the next four weeks, for the next 28 days, let's look for those extra mile moments in our life, those, those, period, those times and those places and those people we encounter where we can go out of our way, we can go the extra mile to bring a dose of encouragement in their life. And I hope some of you did that. I know I had my moments this week, and it felt so good to be able to do that for somebody. But today, as we continue on, in this campaign of encouragement, I want us to now practice what we are preaching. So, if you would, at this moment, take out your phone. I told you last week to bring him to church, and there's a reason why. And it's not Candy Crush, okay? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to open up your messaging app, whether that's Messenger on Facebook, whether it's, you know, just message app or whatever you use to text people or communicate with them one-on-one. And I want you to encourage them. I want you to tell that person what they mean to you. I want you to tell that person, here's how you have motivated me in the direction of Jesus. I want you to tell to that person who's going through a hard time right now, I'm praying for you. You're in my thoughts and you're in my prayers and I'm here for you if you need someone to listen to you, to cry with, to pray for you. Or maybe you just send some very encouraging scriptures. You say, you know what, when I thought of the scripture, I thought of you. Thank you for being you. Whatever it is, it's got to be encouraging. I don't want any of this, you know, want to meet me at Me Pueblo after church for lunch. I don't want that. This is not about lunch or games. This is about identifying that individual in your life who God has laid on your heart to say to them, I thank God for you because this is what you mean to me in my life. So do it right now. I'm going to give you a minute or two just to do that right now. I'm going to make mine right now as you make yours. here's what I know. I know some of you just got a text. And I want to encourage you, never, ever take for granted the encouragers that God brings in your life. I want to point you as well to a special email address that we've set up called encouragement at 
bachelorcreek.com. And that's for you to email that address and say, here's how I've been encouraged. Here's what someone's done for me. Or here's a way that I encourage somebody. And it just, it yielded all this great fruit in my life or this person's life. And it's not a matter of bragging or being egotistical. It's just a matter of saying, here's how God used me as a tool. That when I chose to encourage one another, it encouraged me and encouraged somebody else as well. And we might share those stories up here. And if you don't want your name shared or details, feel free to say that in the email. But we want to hear your encouragement stories. Because friends, if it's not happening in here, I know it's not happening out there either. Because we've got the greatest reason to encourage one another. And that's for the sake of Christ. So we're going to stand now, if you would. I'm going to lead us in a moment of prayer. And here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Maybe beyond the person that you texted today, if there's somebody in this room that you know it's here, you see over their heads, you see somebody, and that person means something to you, during our time of worship, if you even just want to go to that person and give them a hug and say, I thank Jesus for you. That's all you have to say. Or just whatever you want to share. So let's use this time of worship as a time of motivation, celebration, encouragement, as we've been encouraged today by God's word. Let us now encourage one another with our words, okay? So pray with me. Father, we thank you that as scripture says, you are the God of encouragement, that you have eternally encouraged us through the grace that comes through your son, Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit, our advocate, is known as the encourager, that your words were written to encourage us. Lord, help us to see the value in this, that as words bring life into my life, I need to let those words come out of me into the lives of others and breathe life into them. Help us continue to motivate others in the direction of Jesus. That's what true biblical encouragement is. So Lord, use this time now to encourage our hearts and souls through song, to help us to come alongside those who are weary and breathe life into them through our words. And Father, we just give you the glory and lay at your altar all the fruit that comes from encouragement. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.